This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Now, an in-depth look at the news and information shaping our community. This is Moose Talks with your host, Doug Craig on Moose FM. Welcome to another episode of the show. A little later on, we're going to sit down with Fort St. John North Peace Museum curator, Heather Schoblum. There are two businesses in historic buildings for sale in Fort St. John right now. So we'll talk a bit about the history of these buildings, as well as what the Historical Society does when these places of history change hands. But first, winter weather hit us hard at the start of this week, and a story came out about how emergency shelter beds in Fort St. John are already almost at capacity. Now, there was a story in energeticcity.ca about this yesterday, but to follow up a bit more about it and talk about the city's role in ensuring people experiencing homelessness have adequate shelter this winter, we're joined now by Fort St. John City Councilor Trevor Boland. Trevor, welcome back to Moose Talks. Thanks for having me, Deb. I know you were having quite the discussion with people on uh, Facebook about this specific story that kind of came out about this. Um, first of all, I just wanted to know if this came as a surprise to you that they're already being used as much as they are at the uh, Northern Center Hope and the, kind of the Salvation Army, and, or if this was something you were sort of like you and the city council were expecting to see this winter, that it might be, it, it, we might be stretching ourselves to make sure that everyone's taken care of essentially. Yeah. And great starting question. Um, I think, I think we were shocked only because um, it's kind of like when you're shocked for winter, you know what, you know, it's going to come, you know, it's going to come, you know, it's going to get cold. You still don't have everything put away and boom, it snows. Right. Uh-huh. And, and I think that that's the exact same thing that's being experienced right now. So, did we know it was coming? I mean, we should have known it was coming. There, there are 30% increase in, in the homelessness in the last count um, over top of the one previously. Um, the issues that we've seen on Facebook with, with residents' concerns over the Salvation Army and, and you know, the blame game. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't think any of us expected that it was already full, yeah. um, you know, and, and going to be short 20 beds or 30 beds. Um, and the winter season hadn't even started yet. What were we, three days in, four days in? Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is this is sort of a multi-jurisdictional issue because, of course, the people are here in Fort St. John. They're accessing services through nonprofits and charities like the Salvation Army or the Women's Resource Society. But housing is a provincial thing, and the BC housing, which is you know run by the province, I mean. The Salvation Army relies, for example, on funding from BC Housing to make sure that there are kind of, you know, shelters and enough room for people to use the shelters at wintertime. So it becomes a challenge because, as you say in the post, I mean, this is it's not our responsibility, but the province is sort of down, keeps seeming to download this onto municipalities like Fort St. John to deal with the homeless kind of to make sure that homeless people have places to stay and are taken care of. They do. And, and I think it, it's become too easy for the province to do that. Right. And, and we sit back and, and of course, residents get upset and, and residents look to city council because they, they can't find 
their their MLAs and their MPs as easy as they can find their city council, mm-hmm. right? They're, they see us in restaurants and grocery stores, right? They see us in our in our in our neighborhoods as neighbors. Um, so it's it's a lot easier to say, hey, what are you guys doing about this? Why aren't you dealing with this issue? And you know, we look to the province and say, why are you not dealing with this issue? It is your responsibility as BC Housing or as the ministry to ensure that that the vulnerable in our communities are taken care of. And mm-hmm. you know, and they're not doing that. You know, and and my concern and my fear, and, and you know, I reiterated it on Facebook the other day, is that if if the city does this, um, our, our residents, is this what they want? Do you want this to become a taxpayer municipal issue? Um, because it's going to cost a lot of money. And, uh-huh. and it, you know, not only costs a lot of money, but there's going to be then, um, you know, severe consequences to the services we provide, um, right? What Do we provide um, additional parks or do we provide additional housing, right? Because all that money comes from the same pot. So, you know what, honestly, BC Housing needs to step up. Um, yeah. You know, we've talked amongst ourselves as council you know, do we go to some of the church organizations or some of the other, um, you know, not-for-profit organizations and say, hey, do you have the capacity to do this? Can we help you to secure funding from the province? Um, you know, I had an interview yesterday about this and, and my biggest, you know, message to the province is, is clear the red tape, make this an easy process. If we've got an organization or a group that's willing to help out with this over the winter, um, this, this could be a, a monumental change, but the province needs to ensure that they're quick, ready, um, and able to provide that funding right now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's another sort of, uh, you know, part to this problem, which is the warming center. And we don't really know what's happening with that, which as I understand is under the guise of sort of Northern health. They were running it, ensuring, you know, whoever was running it had funding or whatnot. And as far as we know, that hasn't been secured for this winter yet. So, I mean, again, when you're the city council and you're seeing this happening in the city, I guess my larger question is, has there been discussions yet or 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 thoughts on what are we going to do if the government, the PC government doesn't help us out if we don't have this? Situ- you know, what what's sort of our backup plan? Because even as you say, we may not want to pay for it, but these are people in our community who need these things and not having adequate shelter in minus 30 could be a death sentence. It absolutely could. And I mean, this morning I was downtown and not far from the Salvation Army and there is a, um, a trailer, an enclosed trailer, and, and that has been taken over now, I noticed, by, by some of the vulnerable in the city and they're, they're sleeping in there and they're using candles to heat it and they've got four or five blankets in there and, and, and we're only, what, minus eight last night, minus yeah. nine last night. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, I, I can't even imagine minus 30. Uh, you know, I, I seen the Women's Resource Center calls for tents and camping equipment and stuff like that. And, and you know what, even I think even the the best of the best when it comes to campers and hikers and, and Arctic expedition um, goers wouldn't be, uh, you know, would barely be prepared um, mm-hmm. for what we experience in our winters, let alone somebody who has no idea what they're getting into at minus 30 and trying to sleep, you know, outside. So, I, I mean, you know, it's got to be a conversation we have with the community. It's It's got to be something that... um I mean, A, we're going to continue to hammer the provincial government. B, we're going to continue to reach out to any partners that we have and, and, and ensure that if they've got questions, they know we're readily available and that we will help them for whatever we can. The last thing we want is is for people to be left on the streets, uh, the potential of um, severe frostbite, this potential of death, um, which is, is very real. And not to blame the Salvation Army. This isn't a Salvation Army issue. The Salvation Army is not set up for 50 emergency shelter beds. So, mm-hmm. you know, you talked a little bit of the warming center. That was phenomenal the last couple of years. Uh, we hope that Northern Health um, gets in a position where they can open that up in, in a decent time. Um, from what I've heard, that that was going to be part of 
the facility that they're working on right now as far as yeah. the overdose prevention site. I don't see a lot of activity there, so I'm not sure how far along they are. But if we could, if we could, you know, ideally, if, if things were all rosy and good, we'd see Northern Health open up that, that per day warming shelter. We'd see the Salvation Army be able to do the the expected amount of beds that they're going to do that 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 thirty beds and and do it well. Uh, in talking with Jared, one of the things he did say is is you know sometimes when they've gone a little bit over capacity, it's because somebody who's got a room already has a friend that needs a room, and you know they they have a foamy sort of an idea. So mm-hmm. right, because my question was, I'm like Jared, what happens when thirty one people show up? Well, it became a reality because they were already at twenty eight. So I said, what happened if three people show up? Three more people show up. You're over capacity by one based on what your business plan is, and we're already in trouble. And it yeah. was like, what was it, October 23rd? So, you know, I think that I think that they're very well aware that that they could be into something similar to what they were last year, where they, you know, where they've got to have space. But at the end of the day, I think it's honestly, Dub, it's it's being proactive. It's not placing blame. It's not. Uh, you know, going after the services that are already provided. It's it's how can we enhance what, what we don't even know we have yet because Fort St. John is a very um, giving community. It is a very caring um, community. So, you know, I, I, I don't expect the residents to have to foot the bill for this, but I expect them to be very loud and very clear when it comes to dealing with the MLA and the ministers and the provincial end of things that we expect better for our community. And, and I don't think that we're out of line to expect better. Mm-hmm. Last question for you, because I've seen it come up a lot again in kind of discussions on Facebook, the empty old RCMP kind of detachment. Um, People say, well, why why can't that be useful in this situation? Um, I just wonder, you know, what what your thoughts are on if if that's something that's even been thought about as as maybe something we could put a temporary shelter in there if we need to. Is that even a possibility? It's a good question, and, and I mean, we've seen it about shelters, we've seen it about an uh, OPS site, we've seen it about a lot of different things. Um, so, first and foremost, is is that building has not been decommissioned, right? Mm-hmm. So there is there is not usable jail cells in that building, as we've seen people ask questions about and say, hey, you know what? They've already got little rooms in them. Um, there is not enough washrooms to to be considered uh, an emergency shelter. Yeah, uh, there is not enough open space to be considered emergency shelter. It it needs electrical upgrades um, because the the breakers trip. It is it is not a, a too current sort of code building, right? So when you've got a building that was built 30 years ago, it was not built for the technology that we've got in our homes right now. So over the course of time, you upgrade and you change. Well, well that building needs a complete renovation before it can be used for anything like that. So although, although you know, love that people are coming up with different ideas and, and addressing them and, and sharing them on, on online, um, it needs to be ideas that we can put into play immediately. Um, but it also needs to be ideas that, that I feel hold the, the province accountable and, and hold BC housing accountable. This is their sole job. It's like, you know what, guys, you got one job. You got one job, which is to ensure that people are not homeless, especially in conditions like that, and you're failing at that job. So, you know, the minister needs to step up. Um, we've had conversations with our MLA about him, you know, hammering down on them to ensure that they understand the position we're in. You know, I, I think oftentimes, though, you're living down south, you don't realize Fort St. John has a homeless problem. You don't realize there's a, a vulnerable population that lives on the street throughout the summer. We have gorgeous summers. Mm-hmm. And and I think, honestly, that politicians sitting down on the island or down in Vancouver and downtown by the water don't ever assume that somebody would try to be or try to attempt to be homeless in Fort St. John. It's a reality. And and I think that seeing these numbers grow by 25 and 30% over the last couple of years, it's going to continue to get worse. Is it is it out of line? No, because our population's increasing as such as well right and we and we've seen this happen before we just didn't have facebook to share it all over so you know at the end of the day um open communication transparency working together and ensuring that 
Um, we are one. It, it, it takes all of us to make this community great. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it there, uh, Mr. Boland. Thank you so much for being here today to talk to us about this. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. That's uh, City Councilor Trevor Boland here on Moose Talks. We'll be right back to talk to Heather Schoblum and talk a bit about the museum and their role in the community right after this. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dub Craig. Now we're going to talk a bit about historic buildings in Fort St. John. Two businesses in town are for sale that are in historic buildings, including the Lido Theater and Whole Wheat and Honey. And a third business just closed that has a lot of uh, attachment to this town's history as well. So to talk about all that and sort of what the historical society does when a business changes hands or closes down that has a lot of historical importance to town, we're here to talk with uh, Heather Schoblum, the curator of the Fort St. John North Peace Museum. Heather, welcome to Moose Talks. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for being here. Now, uh, today, when I phoned to ask you to be on the show, you happened to be at the Alaska Highway News Building, kind of, I guess, going to see what sort of maybe artifacts or, or things that uh, you were collecting for uh, that might be, you know, useful and historically important to the museum. Is, is that why you were there yesterday? Yes, uh, as you know, we're scanning the Alaska Highway News, and although they had donated lots of issues and we had some issues previously, we have a whole list of ones that were missing here and there and so on. So it was a last-ditch attempt to try and get those issues. So we were lucky after combing through a lot of dusty stuff, we found eight of the missing issues, um, and we were also able to collect uh, some photographs and maps and so on that will be interesting for our collection. Awesome. Does that mean, though, that there are still some issues that uh, you aren't able, haven't been able to find and account for so far? That is correct. Sometimes a whole month and unfortunately sometimes a whole year, uh, especially when the transition kind of from getting stuff on disk to just saving it on your computer or whatever. Um, we're missing all of 2013 and 20 or no, all of 2014 and 15. So wow. If anybody has any issues, we're looking for those. We got worried at the end of 2015 and just started collecting everything in hard copy after that. But I wish we'd done it earlier, but how can you know? <laughs> right. Um, so when you heard the Alaska Highway News was closing, I suppose this is I mean, you guys immediately were like, okay, well, we got to go in there and see, uh, you know, what we can grab. Because it, you know, this has been the newspaper of record for 80 something years in town, right? Yep, since 1944. Mm -hmm. So this kind of leads into sort of these other historical buildings in town. Now, I mentioned Lolito, which, you know, I have Brian on the Lido. Uh, we come on, he comes on and talks to me once a week. So I know that there's a lot of history in that building. But Whole Wheat and Honey is also for sale. And we just did a story about this over at energeticcity.ca, which talked to you about it. I mean, there's a fair amount of history in that building as well that, honestly, I didn't even consider. Uh, so maybe tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so it's not just the building, but it's the site. So mm -hmm. um, that land was... Uh was the homestead of Clark Mackenzie Finch or CM Finch, who the school's named after. Hmm. Um, and he had a one room cabin in that, in that, uh, on that land in 1918. So he wanted to start a store. So he started out selling canned beans and rolled oats. He'd just throw a tarp over his bed and ta-da, it was a store for the day. <laughs> uh, he'd also go to parties and he'd bring, he'd bring canned goods and stuff in his suitcase and sell, 
sell items out of his suitcase at the party. So he had a traveling store. Anyway, he saved up enough money to build the first official store on that lot. Uh, so in the winter of 1927, Red Powell, who had a sawmill out at Charlie Lake, and Martin DeWitt uh, built a large store for Finch uh, there. And um, a lot of people kind of thought, hey, Finch is a fool to build a big store there. There were competing settlements. There was no community of Fort St. John there. There was the like the Hudson's Bay Company fort yeah. um, down by the river. And then there were competing communities at Grand Haven and Fish Creek, so near the Mall Murray School. Um, but Finch was pretty smart. He donated five acres of land for the Catholic Church. He then supplied the hospital with some land um, and provided land for the cemetery and then for a government building where the cultural center is today that was like a post office. Um and so because he was pretty smart at, at how he gave land away, and he also had a bit of a post office in his store at one point, the community of Fort St. John in its present location uh, outlasted the competing communities or grew bigger than the competing communities. Um, and really, it became the heart of downtown. So Finch operates his store until 1943 when he's... he's uh, his health is declining. He dies of cancer a couple of years later. He sells it to Chris Field. And in 1945, the Fort St. John Co-op Association is formed. And they start operating out of the building that was Finch's store. Um, so Fort St. John Co-op Association um, pretty much sold anything. Like It was like a department store. So you get mm -hmm. clothes, groceries, tools, and so on. Um, and they were the ones who built um the present what's the present day building that houses whole wheat and honey as well as several other businesses um and that was built uh i think in the 1960s uh 1950s yeah and uh yeah so basically that became a gathering place for the whole community so uh people would go they'd have lunch at the co-op cafeteria and you owned shares in the co-op association so they did well you did well um so and lots of people would go and do their that was the main shopping center for years until we got a much bigger like hudson's bay company department store and so on so um that really became the the heart of the community and and still i mean that is our the center of our community today and and whole wheat and honey is still a gathering or a meeting place for lots of people in the community. Oh, there you go. I, I had no idea that that building was even, I mean, by that math, 60 something years old now. So, um, you know, <laughs> in a situation like that, then Heather, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with whole wheat and honey, but say, you know, that business gets sold, there's a decision to change it into something else or whatnot. Really when anything like that happens around town in, in sort of, you know, historic places or buildings, what sort of the society's mandates to go in and make sure that history is preserved? If there's stuff that maybe the, the owners don't want that you go in and say, well, we'll take this because we'd love to display it on the museum, keep it in our collection, what have you. That can always be a bit complicated because yeah. as a one staff museum, we just don't have the capacity to do a crazy amount of contemporary collect collecting. However, we welcome anybody donating stuff as their, their business goes out of sale. Um, I mean, we're scanning the newspapers, so we all have lots of information on these businesses, often their grand opening notices and so on. Um, but, you know, anything from 
uh, a menu or a sign or business cards or we have a lot of what we call our, our business drawer. So a whole bunch of business memorabilia from like pencils or pens that you hand out and, and so on. Uh, for example, from the Lido Theatre's earlier history, we have the Carlsonia and Lido uh, program. This is one from 1958. And wow. then when the Lido started operating on itself, we've got one from 1960. We have a whole bunch of these. But um, the the more community members donate, and it doesn't even have to be the business. If you have something that, you know, it has to do with a business that doesn't exist anymore or, or so on, like, we are always open to considering donations. Amazing. Now, is that something you'd like, like a phone call or reach out via email and say, hey, I've got stuff to donate, or people want to bring their box, <laughs> just come by and say hello? Can you that. can... That's that's fine. If you have a big item, best to call before. Often we'll consider that with a photograph via email so that nobody has to lug it down for us just to say, no, sorry, we don't have room for that. <laughs> um, it, usually it, the, all this stuff goes to our acquisition committee. So uh, they're, they're the ones who decide, do we have similar items already? Is this something that has local history? What kind of condition it's in? Do we have space to take it and so on? All right, Heather. Well, we've got a minute left. Um, I just wanted to make sure we brought up uh, kind of the, the Halloween thing going on at the uh, museum tonight. Tell us a bit about it and, uh, you know, when we got to be there and all that good stuff. So, yeah, our, our exhibits are all being decorated for Halloween. We got most of it done yesterday. Got to do a little more after this. Um, but basically, you can come down tonight. It's a drop-in event for families between 6 and 8 p.m. Um, please wear costumes if you want. Adults don't have to dress up, but they can. Um, bring a trick-or-treat bag. Enter at the back of the museum. And uh, you'll learn lots of fun facts about Halloween and get some Halloween goodies and take-home crafts. Awesome, Heather. Well, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to do this today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. That's Heather Shoblum, the curator of the Fort St. John North Peace Museum. My thanks to our guests, Trevor Bolin and Heather Shoblum, for joining us today. Make sure you stay up to date every morning with local news delivered straight into your inbox. You can sign up for the energeticcity.ca newsletter right now at energeticcity.ca slash newsletters. You can also keep up to date on local municipal politics, uh, government politics, I should say, with our Peace Politics newsletter. There's also a wonderful events newsletter available where we tell you all about the great events happening each weekend in Fort St. John. You can sign up for any of those and all of them now at energeticcity.ca slash newsletters. That's our show. Trey Lopashinsky and Jordan Prentice are the producers of Moose Talks. I'm Dub Craig. Be well. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.